Chapter 15 of the Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On three different days thereafter, there were various tests in which the submarine craft entered, each driving four points in leadership. On one of these days, the event was firing with dummy torpedoes. This work was carried on out in the bay. Then there were two other days of firing with actual loaded torpedoes. The work one day being with stationary naval targets. On the other day, the work with loaded torpedoes was directed against moving targets, perpendicular floats towed by a tug with a very long hawser. While some of the firing was done by the crews of the respective submarines, a good deal more was performed by members of the naval board, in order that the boats, rather than the crews, might be tested. In each of these events, the Pollard boats were the winners. At the moving targets the day, submarine took second place away from the Rins boats. In the other events, the Rins craft came in second, though rather close to the records achieved by the Pollard submarines. Barnum was elated, of course, so were his young officers. Lieutenant Danvers, who was on board at each test, was also much pleased, though he did not express it. The cheering news was taken to David Pollard in hospital and greatly lightened his days of suffering and waiting. And now, for two days, the grim-looking little submarine fleet had lain at moorings. Not one was there among their crews, but wondered whether any further competitive tests were to be ordered. There had been no more meetings on shore between the Rins party and our friends. Rodwin had hoped for such a meeting, for, as Hal had predicted, the dark-faced rascal had soon reasoned out that it would be an excellent thing to stop a few blows delivered by Captain Jack Benson. But Farnham had kept his party on the Benson in the Hastings. Fred, I wonder whether we are going to have any more tests, demanded Mr. Rins, as he and his secretary lingered over their breakfast at the Somerset. I wish I knew, sighed Rodwin. We've been beaten a few points by that Pollard crowd, muttered Rins, his face lowering. But we're not altogether wallop, Fred. The government is going to buy a good many submarine boats. Now, it isn't necessary for the government to have all the boat types, is it? Of course not, Rodwin assented. Just so, continued the older man. Now, we've made a pretty good showing after all, so I have already begun with some telegrams to the senators and congressmen of our state. Oh, you mustn't feel that you always have advanced information on all I'm doing, young man, chuckled Rins. Noting the look of surprise in his companion's face, I've started with our state's members in Congress, and soon I shall begin to go at him harder. Now, despite the fact that the Pollard boats have been able to gain a few points over us, I believe I can engineer matters so that the government will order two types of submarine instead of one. In fact, Fred, when the government gives out its big orders for submarine boats, I hope to land 40% at least of the business. Fred Wadden glanced cautiously around him to make sure that no waiter stood within hearing distance. Then he hissed sharply, 40% of the business, you say? I still intend to land 100% of the submarine business for our company. How? asked the older man eagerly. I'll think it over a while before I tell you my definite plans. Be careful, Fred, warned Rins, not to make any moves that will be our undoing. Have I gotten you into any trouble yet, Mr. Rins? No, admitted the older man, though he added half-jeeringly, nor have you beaten the Pollard crowd at any point along the road that I can remember. Wait, retorted Radwin mysteriously. These two villains were sipping from their last cups of coffee when, even in the dining room, there reached their ears the muffled sound of gunfire from the bay. What's that? demanded Radwin. I want to hear the rest of that. He hurried through the dining room to the front of the lobby. There it goes, he cried, as Rins, puffing somewhat, joined him. First the gunfire, then seven long whistles, followed by wait. As the whistling ceased, another gun boomed forth. That's the emergency signal to call all hands back who belong on submarines, uttered Radwin, wheeling about. We must get our hats and coats and hustle down to the waterfront. Radwin had, in truth, read the signal all right. It was a signal that the naval board had announced in case at any time there should be sudden official news for the officers and crews of the rival submarines. What can it be, I wondered, pondered John Rins, as they hurried through a street that led to the pier. 
Probably some test in which the Borer wants us to start without any preparation, replied Radwin. I wish I knew what it was, muttered Rins. That's just the way every man-jack aboard the submarine boats is feeling about it, jeered Radwin. Jove, I hope the test today is one in which we stand a chance to beat the Pollard crab. Jacob Barnum had just started from the Hastings in a shore boat when the first gun boomed forth. The shipbuilder had been on his way to see his friend at the hospital when he heard the first gun. Stopping the rowers, he quickly comprehended what, when the whistle blast started. He accordingly directed that he be put back alongside the Hastings. Jack, Hal, and F had come tumbling up on deck at the first realization of the signal. Grant Andrews and his men were no longer on board, having gone at daylight to their boarding house on shore. "'What do you suppose is in the air, Jack?' called Mr. Farnham. "'I don't know, sir, but whatever it is, we're ready. We can start on anything at the drop of a handkerchief. Gasoline tanks full, compressed air by the cubic guard, storage batteries charged.' It would be hard to catch you youngsters unprepared, laughing the shipbuilder appreciatively. They were still on deck, waiting and wondering, when they saw the president and secretary of the Rins Company put off from shore in haste. They don't mean to be left, sneered F. They're pretty badly left already, muttered Captain Jack, bitterly. They haven't beaten us so far by a single point. I suppose they're hoping they will today, whatever the test is to be, muttered Hal Hastings. Fifteen minutes more passed, then a little flock of six-oared cutters left the side of the gunboat Oakland. In the stern sheets of each cutter sat a naval officer in uniform. There's Lieutenant Danvers, cried Jack Ellery. He brings us our instructions, whatever they are. In a few moments more, Danvers was alongside, making his way up to the platform deck. In his right hand, Danvers carried an official-looking sealed envelope. In his eager curiosity, Jacob Farnham extended a hand to the take the envelope. But Danvers drew it back. Pardon me, murmured the shipbuilder confusedly. I should have known better. The communication is, of course, for the captain. Danvers turned the envelope over to Captain Jack Benson, who broke the seal, drawing out the paper enclosed. This is a part of what the submarine boy read aloud. The Navy Department has just reported by wireless that a semi-submerged derelict, evidently that of a three-master schooner, is drifting in the pass of navigation at a point 385 miles southwest by south of this present station. The department suggests that it would afford an example of practical use for submarines if those now on this station would accompany a gunboat at full speed for cruising and attempt to discover and blow up this derelict. Great, Glodef, I vote for it. So do those on the other boats, if the observable excitement is to be taken as an indication, laughed Mr. Farnham. This letter goes on to request, announced Benson, that the commander of each submarine willing to enter this affair signal to the Oakland by hoisting the signal ready. Do you hear that, F? Summers made a dash for the signal chest. In another moment, the appropriate bit of bunting was fluttering on the halyer at the top of the signal mast. We are directed, Jack Renan, to be ready within 30 minutes. We must follow the Oakland down the bay at a cruising speed of 16 miles an hour. Once out of the bay, the Oakland will signal our formation to us. Do you see the boat the rain signal is going up on? Left Hal Hastings. It is going up on the submarine Thor. According to the old Norseman tales, Thor was the thunderer, also the fellow who struck with the big hammer. It looks like a Rin's boast that they are to do big things on this lightning cruise. Yes, Thor was an old Norse god, muttered Captain Jack, and the early Norsemen were very largely pirates. Perhaps we are to take the signal on the Thor as an intimation that Rin's is out to play pirate in earnest on this cruise. As Benson uttered these words, he felt an odd little shiver run over him, yet he gave it no more thought. Little idea had he, at that moment, how prophetic his words were likely to be. In half an hour, as planned, the Oakland, after firing a warning gun, steamed away from her moorings. Gradually, the gunboat's speed increased until the full 16 miles were being made, miles instead of knots, since gasoline boats, like these submarines, are usually rated by miles instead of the larger knot. 
it was a rattling rate of speed to exact from these little craft when it was considered that the gate would have to be continued without break for at least twenty-four hours f was at the wheel at the start and jack standing back by the conning tower mr farnham had gone below for a nap as he intended to relieve hal in the engine-room for a few hours benson remarked danvers approaching the submarine boy i guess your remark of a few minutes ago exactly defines this trip what remark asked jack you spoke of it as a lightning cruise it is going to be one indeed for this little submarine craft our boat can stand it i think smiled the submarine skipper and so can the Rin's boat probably but some of the others will find themselves sorely put to keep up the speed for twenty-four hours and if they don't queried jack danvers shrugged his shoulders then i guess they'll have to be satisfied with being left far behind unless they signal that they're in actual distress this speed mused captain jack was part of the government's plans for another test the navy department must have planned to see whether any of these boats could stand their gate for twenty-four long hours i couldn't tell you if i knew remarked lieutenant danvers with a quizzical look then turned and strolled away and i guess one of the submarine boy to himself that that's about as near as a fellow can go to giving a tip once he has had the navy muzzle padlocked to his jaws some of the submarines in this long race for such it was were better equipped as to the number of the crew the rins had this advantage carrying a captain and four men in addition to rins himself and his secretary yet jack and f relieved each other regularly at the wheel catching long naps between hal and mr farnham did the same thing with the engine room and the hastings kept well in the van through the day and also through the long night that followed two hours after daylight the oakland signaled to the submarines to run up close to this parent vessel the gunboat further orders of course muttered jack who was at the wheel at the time well were not such a very long run now from the reported location of that derelict the fleet was wholly out of sight of land the wind was fresh and the sea lively with short choppy waves crested by white caps yet for boats as staunch as these submarines sea was not a difficult one for boat handling one after another while still going at full speed the submarines drew close to the oakland one after another as signaled the boats put it within easy hailing distance of the gunboat the hastings will keep to the same southwest by south course but at a distance of two miles off this vessel's port bow came the order the thor will take up similar position two miles off the port side of the hastings the three remaining torpedo boats were assigned to positions corresponding on the starboard side of the oakland in this order the boats went ahead at a speed reduced to fourteen miles the front of the line extended over some ten miles in reality the line of vision extended much further than that unless the semi-submerged derelict had moved much faster than such derelicts usually do it was difficult to see how the wreck could get through this line of exploration jack benson pressed a signal that brought hal hastings up on deck rouse f and mr farnham ordered the young skipper we've got to have all hands on now and call lieutenant danvers also he's not allowed to help us but he'll be anxious to see what is going on as soon as f summers reached deck jack benson turned the wheel over to him then the young captain got his marine glasses stationing himself most of the time beside the deck wheel if it's in any way possible muttered jack i want to be the first to sight that derelict i want the honor of sinking her to come to us it will all be points in the game we are fighting for as benson spoke he swung his glass around to cover the deck of the thor that craft being now her full two miles away off the port beam rins has his whole crowd on deck too growled young benson using his powerful marine glass with interest yes everyone on deck except two men from the engine room at this moment lieutenant danvers stepped on deck looking as though he had slept well the naval officer carried a glass very much like the submarine skipper's it's almost mean of me to bring a glass on deck with me laughed danvers under the rules i'm forbidden to give you any information i may find for myself
Jack nodded pleasantly, then turned to sweep the sea ahead. At a distance of a few miles, it would be easy enough to miss the half-submerged derelict. For some three hours, the flotilla swept on, with active officers on every deck. The naval board had ordered this new formation arrow reaching the probable location of this derelict. We haven't passed the thing anyway, Jack muttered to F. The sea isn't rough enough for that to be possible. Part of the time, young Benson had surrendered his glass to the, his first officer, while the captain himself stood by the wheel. But now Jack was again pacing the deck, while F, his eyes mostly on the compass, steered steadily by course. Suddenly, Jack Benson started. Quickly, he wiped the outer lenses of his glass, then looked again. See anything, demanded F. Yes, sirree, and the Thor is almost a mile nearer than we are. It's a derelict, not a doubt of it. Like a flash... Jack sprang to the wheel, ringing the bell for full speed. F hustle below. Tell Hall we've sighted the derelict. Tell him to hum the engines. Tell him I don't care how much we overheat the machinery so that we don't blow the craft up. Jump. F collided with Jacob Farnham, who had started out from below, but he brushed the ship boulder aside, rushing below as though death pursued him. End of chapter 15.